before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The All-Star has passed. It is officially basketball season, and we are headed to the home stretch of both the college and pro hoops regular seasons. BetOnline is the number one place to stop for all the odds, totals, and player performance props. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up and get a 50% welcome bonus when you use the promo code BLEAV. B-L-E-A-V. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take It. Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is March 1st, the first day of our third year of March here on the Take It Easy Podcast, 873 episodes strong. We are 873 episodes into this beloved Take It Easy podcast, and we appreciate each and every one of you for stopping in however and whenever it is you may be stopping in. Make sure to give us a follow on YouTube, leave a five-star review here on Apple Podcast or on Spotify. If you're listening on Google Podcast, just start playing some episodes at three times speed. It's hugely appreciated. If you're listening on Believe, welcome in. Appreciate all of you for stopping in here today. Uh, we've got a great show today with our friend Blake Jude, Stripe Hype Cincy, Stripe Hype Scouting. He does NFL scouting, of course. We're going to probably have a mock draft sometime next week as we scour the NFL draft season before NFL free agency, which has been pushed back a week. It's really fun. Blake Jude's here today. We started having a serious football conversation, and then two things happened. One, my internet started behaving like crap, so internet connection, not the greatest at the start. Apologize for that. We had to kind of switch it up after the fact, but I think for context, it might be good to keep some of that stuff in. But anyways, we have internet crap, and number two, we got derailed by a former fun name that you may remember. His name's in the description to this episode. This is what we call a teaser. What fun name ends up derailing the podcast? How far do you have to listen before this podcast gets derailed? I guess we'll have to listen and find out. Blake Jude's awesome. This dude's really, really great at this podcasting thing. We've done close to 100 episodes at this point. Of those 873, we've been doing one a week for... Now in year three, we, we started in February of 2020, we've done it 2020, 2021, now into 2022, one episode a week, sometimes two episodes a week, so we've done damn near 100 podcasts now, and the chemistry is there, at least I like to believe it, and Blake Jude, you can listen for himself, this guy's very good at the podcasting thing, so without further ado, here is a Stripe Hype Tuesday with Blake Jude, NFL Draft Expert. And 
also, which you might find out at the end of the podcast, college basketball expert. Still cutting out. Ah, goddamn my Wi-Fi. Okay, <laughs> let's yeah. see it. Let's see if it works out here, and if it'll stay alive. I don't know. My Wi-Fi has struggled to keep up with Zoom for some reason recently. Huh. That's uh, that's weird. I, I, I normally use my uh, whenever I use my computer for a lot of times it doesn't work. So whenever I try to join my overall, but it's like every single time you like talk, it like cuts out for like five seconds. Yeah, that that means my Wi-Fi is kind of dying out there. Hello. Hello. Okay. <laughs> okay. That means it up. just did it. That means it just did it right then. Uh, my, yeah. this has been happening for the last week. My internet's not strong enough to keep up with Zoom. Um. Anyways, let's let's just see if it cuts out in a second. If I keep talking here, if it'll cut out. Yeah, it cut out for like a second there for a minute, and then it came back. But it, right. it keeps cutting out. Like it's weird. It, it like skips a couple of words every time you talk and stuff. It's weird to understand. Yeah, I keep getting the message that says my internet connection is unstable after the fact. But anyways, if it if it keeps happening two more times, I'll switch over to to Zoom on my phone. Okay, it's doing pretty good right now, so we can try. All right, hopefully it holds on. Anyways, Devonte Adams, yay, Devonte Adams. <laughs> we got part of it, anyways, already saved. So I ask you, does it matter what happens with Devonte Adams? Because, like you said, there was a um, they they get a bargain on him because it's essentially like a two year, forty one million dollar contract where they can franchise tag him back to back years and have it be relatively reasonable. It's just that Adams would not be a Packer before and, you know, they might trade him or whatever the situation might be. But it's interesting because Adams is also playing the Aaron Rodgers game a little bit too. There's so many different factors with this than the normal, will they franchise, will they not? Because we know he's getting franchise tagged. If if Allen Robinson was getting it last year, then pretty clearly Devontae Adams is going to get the franchise tag. It's just, what do they do after they franchise tag? And also... How much does Aaron Rodgers dictate that situation for the Packers? Yeah, I mean, I think Aaron Rodgers plays the biggest part in all of this, right? Because when, when, I mean, obviously, Devontae Adams would not like to be franchise tag. He's going to lose out his chance on a lot of money, of course, and he knows that. And I know he's probably not going to be very, very happy with it. But I do think there's a much greater chance if the Packers are able to tag him this year and able to re-sign Rodgers to a long-term contract. The idea of maybe negotiating a longer deal with him in the future may be more likely. So I do think in the Packers' uh, point of view, you probably want – what you honestly probably want to do is is you want to uh, let Devontae Adams get tagged, hopefully give Rodgers a new contract this year, front load the money in year one, so that way you're paying a lot of money to him. You give him the, the idea of making you know by, by far the most money in the NFL like it's been rumored he wants, and you give him the chance to be able to uh, you know maybe in a couple of years take a little less salary, so that way you can backload it for Devontae Adams, right? So kind of kind of match it in a, in a way where you're able to play both players and hopefully be able to keep Devontae Adams happy for the, the, the near future while you're having Rodgers and his what I would consider right now has primed through the first two or three seasons he's with the team. So I do think that I do think that Adams staying or Aaron Rodgers Packers would do with Devontae Adams, but I do think it might it makes sense to kind of prolong this to next year to decide what you're going to do. There's a realistic possibility that maybe Devontae Adams is uh 
you know, is traded or, um, or is forcing his way out of Green Bay. So it's not always a guarantee that he's going to end up being uh, a Green Bay Packer for much longer. Well, this is the interesting part about this for Devontae Adams, which is he's kind of seeing the writing on the wall of the wide receiver position, which is why would I want to stay in Green Bay if they don't have Aaron Rodgers? Like I can go play somewhere else with whatever the end of my prime is. And hopefully they have a solid quarterback. Also, I assume he's not a package deal with Aaron Rodgers by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm sure he'd like to make a lot of money and play with a team that has a really good quarterback. I saw like he was connected to the dolphins the same way that Aaron Jones was last year. And Aaron Jones actually took less to stay with the Packers than go to the dolphins. But I guess the compensation is if you're going to play without a solid quarterback, like Jordan love or like Tua Tunga Vailoa, who are, we kind of know they're not like they're not Joe Burrow, but they're also not scrubs then you might as well make a lot of money doing it instead of playing on the franchise tag with the Packers. It's kind of like a give and take on that situation. Adams and what he wants, right? He wants to, he wants to go wherever he can make the most money and have a good, good system behind. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is keeping him. I, I think that he wants to, he wants to get wherever he can get the most money, but it would of course also be nice if he's able to stay come back because honestly it was like now is a great chance that he's going to come back and be a green bay packer and be able to to make all that money because green bay knows how much he is valued they know that he they have to pay him a lot of money um will they have the money to resign him i don't know it's a big question mark but it's so you know able to have Re aaron Re rogers uh stay on this team for the next several years then it's certainly possible do get a feeling this is here is there in green bay for the three or four years, then we will likely get a Devontae Adams contract extension with Green Bay. I just think the smartest idea, of course, that might not make him very happy, and it's certainly a risk. I do think it makes a lot of sense to be able to keep him around on the franchise tag for at least one year. For the Packers, it makes total sense, but I actually go the other way. I don't think Devontae Adams is going to re-up with the Packers because if he was going to re-up with the Packers no matter what, and like the money was the play there, he would have done it like last year. I know the Rodgers thing was kind of hanging over the situation, but I think he would have signed the long-term deal already if he had intended to re-up. Because players that good in the NFL rarely ever go to free agency, part because right. the franchise tag exists, but part because there's no max contract in the sport. So usually players get fair market value. Like, you know how we do the thing where the next best person gets a bigger contract than the last person. And all of a sudden Amari Cooper's the leading paid highest paid wide receiver in the NFL, just because he hit free agency after whoever was the person before. I actually think Devonte Adams is going to be the one who tries to use leverage to get out of green Bay. That's certainly a possible a possibility, of course. But, I mean, I just, I, I do think the idea of Aaron Rodgers having the, honestly, I mean, I, I, I the way I look at this right now, obviously, Devontae Adams wants to play with Aaron Rodgers. I think that's, that's, that's what feels like it's pretty obvious there. And I do think that he did not want to risk his entire prime going to the Green Bay Packers to not be able to be a contender with a guy like Jordan Love or another quarterback that wasn't going to be as good as Aaron Rodgers if that were to happen, of course. He wants to be able to be a Super Bowl winning wide receiver. He wants to be a success wide receiver. He wants to be one of the all-time also wanting to make great money. He wants the roles right now, which is why I think he made the risk of, of making Green Bay Packers last year because, of course, the Aaron Rodgers situation. And also, 
able to ride out this franchise tag and maybe go into free agency next year with a greater outlook. Maybe his, his value rises or, or the Green Bay Packers start to value him even more. One, re-sign Aaron Rodgers this year, be able to have it where they can, you know, save a little bit of cap next year, or they can have it to where if Rodgers were to leave, maybe they can go ahead and give money this year going towards a new quarterback and be able to have the cap space next year to give him a bigger contract. So I feel like either way, it's going to make it in a scenario where Devontae Adams might be getting more money next year guaranteed than what he would have if he would have re-signed. Um, I was I was saying before we had to break up and switch it that the Devontae Adams situation is interesting because when we were doing our, you know, who are the top 15 players in the sport last week, um, one of the things that I thought about was uh, does Devon, we kind of had Devontae Adams in there, but kind of did it, didn't. But I was thinking, is Devontae Adams someone who has enough leverage there to negotiate a no trade clause in his contract? Could he negotiate a no trade clause so that he doesn't end up in a position where if he signs the long-term deal that he doesn't get to control if and where he gets traded, if he decides to force his way out of green Bay, it's super interesting because there's so many different possibilities he could choose here. He could also get to a point where if Rogers leaves, which at this point, I don't think even Aaron Rodgers knows what Aaron Rodgers is doing. <laughs> 100% sure. Um, I don't know if, if Aaron Rodgers knows what decision he's made, but, I do think that Devontae Adams could make could use leverage now to pick the team he wants to go to because he would sign a long-term contract with whoever he gets traded to. So that's an interesting part too, is he can technically get traded to a place that he wants to sign long-term with, which would be super interesting. Yeah, I mean, th- this is, I mean, of, of course, franchise tag as i've said you know obviously that's not going to be Devontae adams's goal but i do think no matter what happens as long as he's able to continue this play and ideally as long as aaron Rodgers stays in green bay he's in time he's going to make a lot of money no matter what happens in the future um you know this franchise tag is only going to prolong an extra year but by the time he's by the time in in 2024 2023 whatever whenever we get to the next free agency whenever uh Devontae adams is going to be a free agent yet again he is going to be able to negotiate either a huge contract with Green Bay where he gets paid to be the highest paid receiver in the NFL, or as you said, he's going to get traded to another team that's going to have a good quarterback, a good system that wants to win now, who is going to give him a load of money to be their star wide receiver uh, and, and, and on their team, of course. So he's, he's in line for, for a good uh, paying no matter what happens here in the future. I just think, looking at it from Green Bay's point of view, of course, you want to prolong that along, as long as possible because you want to focus on this Aaron Rodgers situation first. You want to lock him down first and be able to pay him money to where he's satisfied and wants to stay in Green Bay. And then you want to worry about Devontae Adams after. And ideally, if you can lock down Aaron Rodgers, that would make it more than likely Devontae Adams would want another contract here, there as well. Um, so from from Green Bay's point of view, you want to take just kick the Devontae Adams contract down the road. Like, like I said, give him a franchise tag, uh, let it go down the road, get Aaron Rodgers back here first, and then focus the entire next offseason on giving Devontae Adams a huge deal, which I think he would definitely like to agree to since he knows he since, you know, obviously he knows he's going to be paid as the highest receiver in the NFL already. Um, and as long as he's going to go to a good team with a good quarterback, and if Aaron Rodgers is, like I said, still there in Green Bay, obviously it's going to be a very enticing spot for him, considering he's been there his entire career. 
Well, what would you do at this point if you were Green Bay? Like, because they had kind of originally thought that Jordan Love would be the quarterback at this point, even though that they pretty much totally pivoted off that after two MVPs from Rodgers and Love kind of looks like, you know, okay. (laughs) Okay, I guess. Um, But what would you do at this point if you're them? Is it just keep everyone together and just, you know, kick the can down the road as long as possible and like see if you can make one more run next year? Or is it just keep adding on years until uh, until it all falls apart? Yeah, well, for starters, I would have never jived in Jordan Love. <laughs> it's the first yeah, of pick, course. Right? Of course, yeah. I think that's fairly yeah. obvious. A huge mistake on Green Bay's part, and and really the situation entirely that they handle with their with their team is is the biggest reason why they haven't won a Super Bowl yet. I mean, obviously this team's talented enough to win a Super Bowl, but the mistakes they continue to make on the front office have been continually screwing them over each year. Um, if I was put in the front office with the roster I have right now, um, I, 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 like I said, I would do anything I can to make Devontae Adams uh, want to stay here. I would do whatever I can to, absolutely. Um, it, it feels like the Aaron Rodgers situation is is just so confusing and so annoying to the point where, honestly, like I said, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't know what he's doing, I don't know what I'm going to do. I would love to have Aaron Rodgers stay in Green Bay. Uh, if I was, of course, the GM, I want to have one of the best quarterbacks of all time there. I want to have one – you know, the best wide receiver in the league right now there, of course. So I guess I would try to do my best to keep everything together, be able to try to ride it out for maybe another couple of years to see if they would uh, be successful and make a Super Bowl or something like that. But at the end of the day, it's obvious that you know, this is a team that's going to have to look towards rebuilding eventually in the future because it feels like it's ticking time bomb, just waiting to go off and explode at any moment. Do the Packers value their first-round pick this year or – would it be better served like moving in a trade for somewhere else? I know that's kind of like a, it depends who they get for him situation, but I'm, I don't know whether they really need their first round pick because they need the cheap talent to come in. Or if they're like, we're all in all in and now we should give up our picks to get solid players. I don't even know what they're, what position they're in at this point. Yeah. I mean, it feels like to me right now, Green Bay is in a position where, you know they they are pretty strapped on cap right now. They don't have the the ability to go out and sign big time free agents. Of course, they're going to cut a couple of guys. I really think Preston Smith, a guy that pretty much has to get cut this off season, it makes sense. I've seen a couple of people even say Zadarius Smith probably should be cut as well because they are just making so much money on that outside linebacker spot. And Rashawn Gary's been a very high potential guy that, that's on a rookie contract that they like to use right now. So I could definitely see him become a future starter on that defense. Um, but you know they need to find ways to clear up cap most first and foremost. And I do think trading a first round pick is going to end up landing you a guy that's probably going to be making a good amount of money, right? Because obviously you're not going to trade for a, a rookie or you're not or for a younger player on a rookie contract. You're not going to trade that pick either for a um, you know for a guy that's not being paid a lot of money that's has, that has a lot of potential or is really good, of course. So I think ideally. Um, you you want to keep that pick and po- possibly use it, whether it's on offensive line, uh, defense, of course. I think you can use a couple of upgrades there, uh, wide receiver. Um, but like I said, with the idea of Zedarius Smith and Preston Smith both being cut, I, I like the idea of maybe just keeping that draft pick and maybe potentially using it on a outside linebacker and edge rusher off the edge and try to put us alongside Rashawn Gary to use as a as a good potential weapon on defense while hopefully – retaining the same offense to, and hopefully have a healthy offense more importantly on the offensive line at least to be able to where you're able to have your Aaron Rodgers, your Devontae Adams, your Robert Tanyans, your uh, Brian Bo- or uh, your um, Ryan or sorry who am I thinking of the, the left tackle that's really good your entire offensive line uh, Bakhtiari. Bakhtiari Bakhtiari yes I almost said Brian Bulaga 
Um, but you want to have that. I thought you were going with Ryan line. Ramchek. I thought you were doing a Saints Ryan. Well, yeah, Ramchek, I, I almost so. said both. Yeah, I almost said both. <laughs> I, went, I went both for there for a minute. But I think you ideally want to have all of those guys be able to stay on this team for now, roll with this offense, and hopefully try to at least get younger and look towards you know revamping this defense a little bit. Not not rebuilding, but kind of retooling in a way. You want to keep your Jair Alexander, your maybe Devondre Campbell, who's a, who's going into free agency this year, uh, Rashawn Gary, of course, guys like that. But I do think there's a couple of pieces on there that need to be moved and, and kind of flipped around and, and change. Yeah, Green Bay is in such a weird position there because – like I say, if you can trade for someone who has like a, a $3 million cap hit, then maybe you'd be better served trading that first round pick. But I don't know how many people, maybe someone who's like a first rounder who's like coming up on a contract or something. But like other than that, oh, they should trade for Terry McLaurin. That would be super fun if they gave up like a bunch of picks and like put him next to Devontae Adams as like an all in move. But uh, I mean that one. I just that one came to mind because I know McLaurin doesn't have a high cap hit, and um, he's a. I think he's a free agent after next season. I think he's got one year yes. left on his contract. Yep. So, I think last off season we were trying to trade Terry McLaurin too. I'm not sure why we keep doing that, but I, I think that's he's kind of the, the example with Devontae Adams too of. You know, the the eighth best receiver in the NFL and the 18th best receiver aren't that different, except for maybe, you know, not having a quarterback. Because the difference between Terry McLaurin and, like, Mike Evans isn't super significant. Just one's been playing with Taylor Heineke and Alex Smith for two seasons, and the other's been playing with Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean, and and I think the reason why everyone brings that up and and likes the idea of Terry McLaurin going is, of course, he's on a – I would say a failing franchise, of course, that a franchise that hasn't been able to find success at all. And we know this is a guy that if he was able to get into the playoffs, this is a dominant, great wide receiver that can be a dangerous force for years to come, of course. So I do think there is that, you know, that aspect of, of, of looking at it with Terry McLaurin and thinking like, hey, this is a guy that should probably go somewhere else with a good quarterback to be successful because we know how capable he is of being great. We, we've seen his great plays. So I do think that makes a lot of sense. But I mean, at the end of the day, Washington's probably not going to trade away McLaurin. If I was Washington, I wouldn't trade away Terry McLaurin. He's too good of a talent to let go already. Uh, and, and I do think that it's unlikely that ever happens. But, but you know, looking on the Green Bay side, you, you want to get another extra weapon. Maybe you look towards, uh, you know, honestly, pick. I don't know what pick they have exactly in the draft, but I, I know that they have a, you know, a, a pretty later uh, pick. You know, that, that's a great place to always pick best player available. I think it's 26 or 27. Um, For the Packers. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe it's, maybe it's a little later than that. I don't know I'm, I'm pretty sure it's twenty seven, right? I think it's twenty seven. I they think take so right because because yeah. they were the best team in the regular season right. and they lost in the second round. So I think that's yes. twenty seven. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's that's a great position to go best player available there. Maybe you get a good wide receiver like a Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson that fall to you. If you can get one of those guys, that's obviously ideal to put across from Devontae Adams. It gives Aaron Rodgers another great weapon to work with. Or, like I said, if you get another guy like a like a David Ojabo, a George Karlaftis maybe falls to you pick 27. Then, of course, that also makes a lot of sense because a great edge rusher. You're able to cut your other guys. You're Darius Smith, you're Preston Smith to clear up some cap space. And maybe you can go out and sign some other guys to be on the roster and, and work. So there's definitely a lot of different aspects that can go. I think it all just really runs through the draft right now. It really depends on what the draft plan is going to be, whether or not they're going to look to eye towards getting an edge rusher, if they're going to eye towards getting another corner, uh, maybe going towards wide receiver. There's a lot of different options they can go to. But, uh, of course, I do think, obviously, uh, goal number one, secure Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams for the future because they are two of the greatest in the sport right now. You don't want to lose that.
I was going to say, they they don't draft wide receivers in the first round. That's the whole point of the Packers, is that we never draft receivers in the first round. Although they did draft Amari Rodgers last year, who I assume is going to be bigger in the offense once Marquez Valdez-Scantling gets paid way too much money by someone. It's probably going to be the Jaguars, right? Who's, who's the team that's going to give Marquez Valdez-Scantling $10 million a year? Probably the Jaguars. Although sneaky sneaky candidate is the Cardinals. Cardinals Ooh. might be the dumb franchise who gives him $10 million a year. I, I was going to pull out the Colts, the Indianapolis Colts, giving <laughs> him money. Colts are usually smart with money, though. Like, Chris Ballard's, like, notoriously cheap. They, like, always have top 10 cap space in the NFL every year. They, they seem to, like, never spend the cap space. I, I guess that's true, but I'm just so used to them always having mediocre wide receivers every year, right? You have your, you know, you have the Zach Pascals of, of the world that are just always there and never leave, and you're like, why are they on the? Like, I mean, look, if you look at the Indianapolis Colts wide receiver core, the only really re- reoccurring game that you ever see on that core is T.Y. Hilton, uh, and, and everyone else is just completely different each year. Oh, you know, you have Paris no. Campbell who's been back and forth. You have a couple of Zach Pascal seasons. You have, I mean, I, I really couldn't tell you their entire core wide receivers and i do know a lot of wide receiver cores um so to to see that i mean to see how much it's changed i just i just feel like no it's good sir you you have forgotten that for the past nine seasons longer than ty hilton in indianapolis has been jack doyle of course there will always be jack doyle running around for seven catches on the season he'll give you one catch every couple weeks and find the end zone twice in the season but jack doyle will always be running around in the the indianapolis colts tight end room tight end is a complete uh exception uh complete exception (laughs) because they 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 seem to always keep those tight ends i remember uh, the Eric Ebron seasons, of course, the uh, the Jack Doyle seasons. And now we're starting to get a lot more Mo Ali Cox, who I'm a huge fan of as well. I, th- I think he's got a lot of good game to him. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I really I, – that, that's a complete exception. The wide receiver core, however, is a different story in which it's just a, a lot of <laughs> mediocre, just random guys that are always there. And it just feels like Marcos his scantling makes a lot of sense to be another one of those guys. But, again, Jaguars make a lot of sense. Uh, I could see the Cardinals in the way, especially if they lose like Christian Kirk. Uh, I could see them maybe going after him. Uh, maybe even a team like, uh, I don't know, maybe the Dolphins go after Marquez Valdez Scantling to get an extra receiver. And I know yeah. they need another one. Um, someone someone with a lot of cap money, space. Someone with a right. lot of cap space is going to be the poor team that pays Marquez Give them a 10 million a year deal or something like that. Crazy. Yep. Uh, we also got Chester Rogers. He, he runs around in oh, the yeah. wide receiver yeah. room. Uh, see, this is going to be a thing for the rest of the podcast. I'm just going to list Colts wide receivers of the last 10 years now. I'm pretty sure Devin Funchess was there for a year, too. I think Devin Funchess was, oh, yeah. was a Colts. Oh, yeah. Devin, yeah. Devin Funchess had his time in, in, uh, in Indy. There's a lot of guys. It, it gets to be a long list over time. It really feels like the only guy I'm ever used to seeing there is T.Y. Hilton, of course, because he was so great for so long in Indianapolis. But they have never had consistent consistency outside of that it has really been completely random and i mean it's worked out for them they really have found an identity of course in the run game it really feels like that's where their their strongest suit's going to be but i i I do think that 
especially after Andrew Luck left, they have really just not found any sort of passing game that's going to be effective for such a long time. So I have heard rumors, by the way, that they are looking to move on from Carson Wentz and find another quarterback this year. Maybe that's the start of something new. Maybe they want a new passing attack. Hopefully they go out and get some extra wide receivers this year. Uh, and hopefully they're good ones. Like I feel like if there's one team I could see going out and paying Chris Godwin big, I would love for that to be the Indianapolis Colts. That would be such a perfect signing and match for them. Trade for Michael Thomas. Trade for Michael Ooh. Thomas. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that as well. I mean, they, that's that's one team that desperately needs a star stud wide receiver. Even Derrick Henry has his A.J. Browns, right? You need to have a good wide receiver to match up with Jonathan Taylor, give you a threat on the ground, and give you a threat through the air. And they just don't have that right now. And if they're able to get a good quarterback because we get that threat in the air, the ball, we're all of a sudden talking about one of the better teams in the AFC. This is already, uh, I would say, Entering next season, probably my, in my opinion, my favorite to win the AFC South, at least so far. Things will change, of course, after the offseason. Yeah. But right now, I think this is a very good, talented team. They just need to have a couple of weapons. They need to have a new quarterback, maybe a new wide receiver, and you're looking good. You're looking good for the future because you have the defense, you have the running game, you have the offensive line to be great. You just need the quarterback and the wide receiver. Well, do they need another quarterback? Like, I was stunned by the move on from Carson Wentz situation, which the reason seems to be. If they move off of him by, like, March 16th, then they save, like, $14 million against the cap. But I was looking at that, like, you ha- there, there are no other options. Like, they're not really in the market for any of these quarterbacks. And so I thought they would just be content to try again with Carson Wentz. But it seems like, to me, their solution is, if we're going to have mediocre quarterback play, we might as well just not pay them any money. Like, that yeah. seems to be the move, but... That that would be a bold strategy because you don't see anyone else doing that in the NFL. You don't really see anyone else say, we would rather take a worse quarterback and save the money than we would taking, you know, one of these, I guess QB purgatory is kind of what we think of Carson Wentz as, right? Like somewhere yeah, between yeah. tier three and purgatory quarterback, like Jimmy Garoppolo or the rotting corpse of Matt Ryan or Baker Mayfield. Like that's kind of where we think of him at this point. I just, I thought they would have just stuck with it. Even if it like, they're not even getting anything for him. It's just purely financial of, we just want to get rid of Carson Wentz to save money and to hell with whoever his replacement is. Well, I certainly think Carson Wentz was definitely like, you know, viable. Like he was not a terrible quarterback, all things considered last year. He was definitely good enough to win you. Uh, you know, games and get into the playoffs. It just didn't work out that way, unfortunately. But he was good enough, right? He's not, he's not great. Um, he's not Ryan Tannehill good. I, I would say. Like, I still think I would. I still think I'd put Ryan Tannehill slightly ahead of him. But I mean, if we if we compare Carson Wentz and Ryan Tannehill, I think it's a pretty close comparison between those two, right? So you're essentially in the same position as the Titans in that case, which I think certainly okay. Right, but I, I do definitely think that you know, looking at it from the Colts' standpoint, you see the Joe Burrows, the Lamar Jacksons, the Patrick Mahomes, the Justin Herberts of the world. You're you're pretty well aware that you're not going to win many many playoff games against those type of quarterbacks in the next level. So you probably want to try to get a guy of your own who could score big through the air, and I think that's probably what their idea is. Luckily for the Colts, they are in a perfect position this year when it comes to the NFL draft because this is a draft that. If you are a team that doesn't have a first-round pick like the Colts, you know, they, they really have I, – I, I think they have a couple second-round picks. I think they have one second-round pick at least. It's um, a perfect position for them to get a quarterback because there are going to be plenty of quarterbacks that fall in the round two this year that are going to, um, you know, end up being a, a potential 
uh, a future starting quarterback, of course. You have the idea of Carson Strong maybe falling out of there. Bailey Zapp from Western Kentucky, of course, who was, was really well known for having a great college football season this year. Uh, Desmond Ritter, a guy with a lot of potential that I think a lot of people like. There's a lot of quarterbacks that are realistically, you know, could fall later on in the draft. And if you're the Colts and you move on to Carson Wentz and save all that cap space, you're able to use it on maybe more, more receivers, more of an offensive line. You can give one of those quarterbacks a great system to be around and potentially a a good veteran like a Tyrod Taylor, for example, to take reign while you're developing this other quarterback. And all of a sudden, you have you know potentially a lot of potential going on in the future. So I think if I'm coming from the Colts' point of view, and I'm for sure getting rid of Carson Wentz, I would definitely look towards uh, the NFL draft to try to get one of those receive or those quarterbacks in round two, possibly, whether you have to trade up or, or stay there and get a guy to fall to you. I think if they're able to land one of those guys and be able to sign another guy that's capable of playing for you in the meantime – um, kind of like how we saw with the Chargers uh, as well as the uh, the Browns, you know, I think that could definitely work. I think I think that really could work for them. Um, but of course, that's just something that I think as time goes on, we'll, we'll figure out what their actual plan is because it really just seems like right now they're all just concerned. We're just getting rid of Matt Carson Wentz and just being done with him, which is kind of crazy to me and kind of sad because I actually thought Carson Wentz deserved better than that this year. But regardless, I think financially it does make sense on their part. No, someone is going to get Carson Wentz, and they're probably going to be happy with Carson Wentz. I just don't think I, – I think the Colts are just looking at this differently than everyone else because they're saying, you know, all of those backup quarterbacks that you listed in the draft, that, that feels like a downgrade at the position. Like, not a huge downgrade. Like, Carson Wentz has gone from being an MVP candidate to the worst quarterback in the NFL – in 2020 with the Eagles and then this year he was you know slightly average I think he I think he was an above average QBR at the end of the year but yeah. the point still like he also had a weird stretch where he went like 200 passes without throwing an interception which is suggests he was probably lucky considering he threw a shit ton of interceptions after that but still I I just I've not I have not seen a team in the modern NFL point to and say hey, we're going to actively choose to get worse at the quarterback position. Well, Green Bay Packers. <laughs> Green Bay. <laughs> we're we're going to actively choose to get worse at the quarterback position just to save money instead of trying to get the best possible quarterback we can get, which, you know, maybe they, maybe they believe in Carson Strong, but I assume they haven't done the draft analysis yet to point to someone and say, we want to draft this quarterback or we want to sign this Marcus Mariota or this fringe quarterback but save a bunch of money doing it. But they wouldn't even save money because to sign Marcus Mariota, you'd have to pay the $10 million you saved cutting Carson Wentz. So I, I'm fascinated by the Colts' decision-making there. Like I, I would have just assumed penciled in they would try with Carson Wentz again, and then he has a zero cap hit after next year. So they would have just moved off of him after two seasons. But they, they don't want to wait, I guess, which – is a little surprising to me. Also, Philip Dorsett, also a Colt receiver <laughs> back in the day. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, it, it really it really is unique for a team, especially run-heavy like the Colts, to do this, I think. I, th- I think that's where you're coming from, and I totally understand that, too. Um, obviously, this is a team that is, you know, their franchise player is Jonathan Taylor. That is their guy. That is just like how Derrick Henry. Well, well yeah, I would, I would, I would point to, to Quentin Nelson because that dude could retire uh, tomorrow and have a case for the hall of fame. I mean, okay. Quentin Nelson is our best player, but they're not building around Quentin Nelson. They're building around Jonathan Taylor. I, I do understand what you're talking about, but I, I think what, what 
Okay, well, honestly, building around Jonathan Taylor is building around Quentin Nelson as well. It kind of works for both sides, right? Because yeah, Jonathan it does. It does in the modern Nelson. NFL. In the modern NFL with a running game, you are correct. But the thing, this is just a me thing personally. Is I keep asking people, does anyone actually know how good Jonathan Taylor is? Like we know he's very good, but I keep pointing to they could before he was there, they could rush for a thousand yards with any running back. And we know this because Marlon Mack did it twice. Marlon Mack. Yeah. 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 He did twice. He was a thousand yard running back twice with the Colts. So I'm the offensive line. Isn't the same. It was, I know they like plugged in Eric Fisher for Costanzo and it wasn't quite the same situation, but I, I just point to the Colts. And I'm like, I, I have such a hard time evaluating how good Jonathan Taylor actually is. Cause I, I know people were talking about him for offensive rookie of the year or offensive player of the year. And I looked at it and I was like, all I know is that he's better than Marlon Mack, but I don't know that (laughs) I don't know that 12 other running backs wouldn't do something similar in the same system. It's, it's very difficult for me to pin that one down with the Colts, but point still stands. They are building on the running game. Like their strength is with the running game and Michael Pittman being your number one receiver. Although Michael Pittman was a fantasy hero for me last year, winning my helping win my fantasy championship. And then I think I traded him for Chris Godwin after picking him up on off of free agency. So that was a great turnaround, but still um, Michael Pittman's in the same class that I put DJ Chark, which is as soon as you admit he's a number two receiver, the better off you'll be. I think all of that together they are built on the running game, to your point. They are very much built in the running game. Right, yeah. I mean, I I think, you know, talking about how good of a, of a running back Jonathan Taylor is, I mean, had Derrick Henry not got hurt, we would we really wouldn't be thinking of Jonathan Taylor in the light we think of him right now, at least most NFL fans, right? Because Jonathan Taylor was having a really good season, but Derrick Henry was doubling <laughs> pretty much the entire season, right? Uh, so, I mean, it took Jonathan Taylor two, three weeks to catch up to Derrick Henry, who's at the top of the leaderboards. We all know Jonathan Taylor has a better offensive line. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe he wasn't getting as many rushes per game as Derrick Henry, but was still getting a lot, a lot of work there. Um, so it, it really wouldn't have been a competition at that at that point. So I definitely think there are still a couple of running backs out there that are better than Jonathan Taylor, right? I mean, I – a lot of people want to give Jonathan Taylor top three praise already. I still think Christian McCaffrey is better. I still think uh, Derrick Henry is better. I would still personally take Alvin Kamara over him. Um, there are Chubb. guys out there. What about that Chubb? Are Ugh, that's tough. Um, probably not. If if I'm ranking my, my running backs right now, I'd probably say Taylor's four. Um can't trust Dalvin Cook anymore. It's the problem, right? So he's probably. I don't know if you can trust six. Chubb anymore because the, the the Browns were kind of like protecting his carries during the season this year. So it feels like Chubb's legs are about to give out pretty soon. He's reaching that 700 carry threshold that running backs start to fade. Yeah, I mean, I I do worry about that. I mean, I'm not necessarily giving up on Chubb. Yeah, I think he's great, but. At the same time, he's not the workhorse that a Jonathan Taylor or a uh, or a uh, you know uh, even a Dalvin Cook is at this point, uh, and he's Derek also Henry. not the receiving threat that yeah Derrick Henry obviously yeah and he's also not the receiving threat that Christian McCaffrey or Dalvin Kamara is right so he's kind of stuck in that kind of in the middle zone which is where I kind of you know knock him down a little bit I guess on my rankings um, but 
it feels like for me, like guys like Alvin Kamara are built to last in this league for a very long time, right? And I think it's why Alvin Kamara is so enticing. I think he's going to be so great by the end of his career. He might be one of the best running backs statistically at the end of his career overall because I think he will be one of the longest to nerd seeing that he is a very big receiving threat, not a guy that runs between the tackles a lot of times, right? So I do think that he's going to have that kind of career where he lasts a little bit longer than the rest of these guys. And that's why I kind of consider him, in, at least in my book, to be a better overall running back right now because you don't have to risk the idea of running him 30 times a game and him having his legs run out super quickly. I do think it's very enticing and, and it's very, very good. Alvin Kamara is one of those guys that does not get talked about enough at the top of the running backs list. But like I said, you know, Derrick Henry is the best running back we've seen in this generation, but there's a very good argument to be made that we might be talking about Alvin Kamara being the second best after, the, at, at, after his career is over with. So this is an interesting thing that I look at with the Colts is that, yes, they want to run the football in that way. And maybe they can just do the 49ers thing where they hide the quarterback and be extremely successful. Cause I look at the Colts roster and I look at the 49ers roster and I see a hell of a lot of similarities, maybe not a, you know, not two potential hall of fame weapons at, at skill positions, but you know, the, the 49ers didn't have Debo Samuel, during that last championship run. So, you know, point still stands there. I, I think that they can do it, but I felt like the 49ers had to build that system out of necessity more than they had to do it out of like actively trying to do it. This is the Colts saying we would rather actively put one of these interchangeable quarterbacks in and low ceiling the offense and say that Jonathan Taylor, you're going to be the, the workhorse of the offense and we'll invest that money elsewhere in a Chris Godwin who won't get thrown to because we don't have a quarterback. It's all very interesting where it might take a couple of weeks to figure out, but I'm fascinated to see what the game plan for the Colts is or whether or not they do the Jalen Hurts thing and, or Davis Mills thing and say, we're just going to give a rookie a chance and see what they can do in the offense. And maybe they'll be, you know, as good as Tua Tungavailoa, like we saw with the Davis Mills Tua stat this week that I'm sure you saw around the internet, where, yeah. you know, just give give a rookie a chance or just sign Teddy Bridgewater. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that honestly makes sense for the, for the Colts' part. I mean, if they're only going to be paying a quarterback, if they're going to have a quarterback only throwing the ball 20 times a game, right, obviously you don't want to be paying as much as what you're paying Carson Wentz right now. It's a waste of money and a waste of Carson Wentz's talent as a whole. Uh, so if if your entire game plan is, hey, we're going to run this ball down your throat, so we're going to get the lead and run the clock down the entire game, that's a very, very boring way to play football. Um, I definitely think that um, if you're looking at Quentin Nelson and Jonathan Taylor being your building pieces in the future, what's the point of getting a big-time quarterback? It's kind of useless. I would look towards getting a cheaper contract, and I think the reason why I think a rookie is so enticing because you have that upside of maybe, hey, maybe all of a sudden I get a great running back and great quarterback at the same time. And that's when it gets really scary for teams. Um, but, you know, if you get a guy like Desmond Ritter or um, you maybe you maybe you move up further in the draft, you trade a couple of picks and things like that, try to go, go up and get a Malik Willis type guy, maybe a guy that can work in the read option with Jonathan Taylor in a way. I think that, that creates a, a, a scenario where you can kind of create not, not really the Ravens style of offense, but more of our heavy run style the Ravens have and find success through it in the future. So I need I have just been distracted right now and I need to point out this fact here that um when I was trying to find a name for another Colts wide receiver, also Darius Hayward Bay, 
Um, while I was looking for names of old Colts wide receivers, I discovered that Trent Richardson currently plays in the Football Americano de Mexico. He plays in the Mexican American Football League um, and is also entering the USFL draft. I can't believe Trent Richardson is still trying to play football. I did not realize that was a thing that was still happening. How old is he? Trent Richardson, please let him be. Trent Richardson is 31 years old. <laughs> oh my gosh. He's, wow. He's I thought he was so much younger than I thought, he, though. I, I was hoping he'd still be in his 20s. I'd be like, Trent Richardson is 29 years old. <laughs> been out of the NFL for like seven years and is now playing in the right. Mexican American Football League. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I did not realize he's only thirty-one. It feels like a, I feel like, I feel like by now he'd be in his high upper thirties, really. If anything, that is crazy how fast times went by with with Trent, Trent Richardson. Richardson but... Trent Richardson was drafted ten years ago this year. It's only ten years ago. Oh my god! That is insane. <laughs> it was only ten years ago that Trent Richardson got drafted. That's insane. I, it, it's crazy that he never really got an opportunity after he was gone, though. I mean, like he wasn't great or anything, but the fact that he's now in the, I guess, the Mexican Football League is is crazy. And I, no also, wrong, he's I, in he's in the USFL talent pool. Also, he might not get drafted to the USFL, but he is well, putting his name in the USFL draft. Did they not already draft all their players, or are they still going? I'm not too sure. I thought they drafted quarterbacks, but I'm not actually sure. Maybe maybe they already finished doing the draft, and he just didn't get drafted. Well, I know they did quarterbacks, wide receivers. Uh, I, I saw their linebackers, their corners, their safeties, their, de- their entire defense. And I know they had kickers and punters as well. I guess I didn't see their offensive line, and I didn't see running back either. But I would assume they probably already did it. I, I like to think at least. I, I was keeping up with it a little bit. There's a couple of players I knew that were in the USFL draft pool, and I didn't see Trent Richardson in that group. Uh, but I do know we have like the uh, the Clayton Thorsons of the world who are now uh, oh. in the USFL, of course, and and uh, and uh, of course Shea Patterson, uh, one yep. of the all-time group. That was the person who made me impossibly sad. Seeing Shea Patterson made me impossibly sad for this league because, like, yes, he was a four-star recruit, and yes, he played at Michigan, but that dude was a shitty college quarterback. Like, I'm just going to put that (laughs) out there. Shea Patterson was a shitty college quarterback, and I saw him get drafted in the USFL. I was like, oh, man, we're not – this league is not it. I don't need 2017 college football in my life all over again. It wasn't even that good of a time in college football. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm still excited for it. I mean, obviously, Shea Patterson is not the greatest quarterback to ever hear the name listed of. But I do think there are some pretty solid players that are going to have, like, good seasons there. Like, I know a couple of former Bengals that are down there now that I think could be pretty good. I know that there's a couple of – Solid quarterbacks. I mean, Clayton Thorson might not be a guy that many people know, but I remember I liked him quite a bit coming into the NFL draft a couple of years ago. That'd be like 2018, 2019, maybe. Uh, I was quite a fan of Clayton Thorson at the time. Uh, whenever I watched his film, uh, I don't remember what year it was, but I remember I did like it quite a bit. Um, and of course, the Bengal, the Kentucky Wildcats fan in me, uh, the uh, I believe it's this uh, this New Orleans team uh, signed both. Uh, kicker Austin McGinnis and punter Max Duffy. Uh, so now I'm going to be a New Orleans fan. But I, I just heard this recently, by the way. Did you know that everyone in the USFL are just going to be playing in Birmingham? 
<laughs> like they don't they don't leave Birmingham. Their, their their team names mean nothing. They don't they don't have practice facilities anywhere in their cities. They all stay in Birmingham. They all just go by different names. They're all just the names of the old USFL teams, right? That's just kind of right. the, the the point is that they're all old USFL teams. But they, they don't have any they don't have any ties to the, the city or anything at all that they're in. They just they're all they're all just in Birmingham. They just want to go by the old team's names, which is kind of funny to me, but I mean, I don't know. I, I like the idea of USFL. I don't know how well it's gonna work. We'll have to see, of course. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, this is all going to be incredibly dumb. Uh, all of it is gonna be incredibly fun though. Um, I also saw Paxton Lynch was drafted as a backup in that league. I was like, oh, my yeah. God. What oh a God. off. I mean, you talk about a bust of a pick. <laughs> he was he drafted, drafted in the first round. He w- Not only was he drafted in the first round, multiple teams wanted to trade up to draft yeah. him. Yeah. Denver did, but Dallas also wanted to trade up to draft him, and then Dallas lucked into getting Dak Prescott as a consolation prize. <laughs> Yeah, what a, what a consolation prize! But yeah, yeah. it's crazy how how far he fell off, just completely. I mean, well, I, I also know I, I why I know why Trent Richardson didn't play in the NFL now because I remember that there's a video that exists of the wide open hole and he runs immediately into the back of an offensive lineman. I think that photo is the reason Trent Richardson hasn't gotten another chance in the NFL in eight years. <laughs> I got. Yeah, I'll send I mean, you the photo of it if you haven't seen it. It's incredible. He's he definitely fell off uh, in the second half of his NFL career, I'd say. Um, but you know, I remember the first couple of years he was in the league. He looked like he'd be pretty solid. He just kind of completely fell off. But but going back to the Paxton Lynch and everything, I mean, it's it's actually insane to look back on that. And it may, it, may, it really did make me think. It's like when. When when are we going to see Josh Rosen go into the XFL? When is that going to happen, right? Because I'm just waiting for those days where we see the the Josh Rosen or the uh, you know the other quarterbacks that just didn't pan out, didn't work. Are we going to go into the USFLs or the XFLs or whatever in the future? And that's going to be really funny to look back on and be like, wow, that guy fell off quick. <laughs> I love that Josh Rosen has kind of replaced the jokes we used to make about Blake Bortles. Like Blake Bortles <laughs> used to be the person we always said we can't wait to see yeah. them in the USFL, and now it's Blake Bortles is still like I'm, I think Blake Bortles is too good for this. Like Blake Bortles is looking around like why would I do this for what? What's what's my reason for doing this? By the way, you can, I sent you the photo. You can yeah, look at I the uh, <laughs> at Trent Richardson with a wide open lane, I'm just mean, running immediately into the backside of an offensive lineman. <laughs> You have to be completely blind to just completely <laughs> miss that. I mean, it's it's actually impressive, but I don't know. Running it's back, sing- it's it, single-handedly the reason he's not in the NFL. <laughs> if, if I'm an NFL team and I saw that, I'm, I'm just going. I'm taking my talents elsewhere. You know, I'm not. I'm just not worrying about him anymore. That that is that is wild. And and I'm a firm believer that you don't need a great running back to be successful. I've said this multiple times, but at the end of the day, you need to have someone at least competent to know where a hole's at. <laughs> And so I well, think yeah. it makes sense to be able. To, I think it makes sense to to at least. I, I mean, honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it seems really gave Trent Richardson a chance. I think he definitely deserved a chance. I do think that he had a couple of years there where he was he looked really solid. I'm not too sure what his stats were in his best years, but I do remember him having some pretty solid games. And I I, I really did think that he would find his way back on the team in some capacity. But at the same time, now especially now he's 31 and he's been out of the league for what now. 
five years, six years maybe. Um, it is, uh, it is actually eight. crazy. It has been eight years eight since Trent years? Richardson played in the NFL. There's yeah. no way. Eight years since he played an NFL game. He was on a couple um, training camp rosters, but it's been eight years since Trent Richardson played an NFL game. That's so sad, though, because he was he was really a solid running oh, back. Would you like time. his stats? Would you like yeah. Trent Richardson's <laughs> career NFL stats? So, oh no, in, in his first rookie year, so after Cleveland gave up multiple first, or sorry, they traded up and gave up multiple picks to acquire him third overall. By the way, we can officially say that because Trent Richardson is playing in the uh, Mexicano. Football de Americano League. Um, Trent Richardson technically has had a longer career than Andrew Luck. Um, we can we can <laughs> say that the person that was picked two picks ahead of Trent Richardson, Andrew Luck, uh, the person who finished ahead of Andrew Luck in the Heisman Trophy voting in 2012, that Trent Richardson had a longer career than Andrew Luck. Um, anyways. 2012, Trent Richardson's rookie year, he carried the ball 267 times. For 950 yards, which is an average of 3.6 yards per carry, or as we like to call it, the Frank Gore special, uh, 3.6 yards a carry, 11 touchdowns, and three fumbles. And then in his second year, he got hurt second game of the season, but in a game and a half, had 105, or sorry, 156 yards of offense in a game and a half, then gets traded to the Colts for a first-round pick has 450 rushing yards on 2.9 yards per carry. Then in 2014, after getting uh, becoming a backup, he had 519 yards and 3.3 yards per carry. And that was the end of Trent Richardson's NFL career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess his rookie season is the one I remember so well with the Cleveland Browns. And I remember how, like, solid I actually thought he was. Um I really, I really do think that I really did remember the the prime days of Trent Richardson. I guess, and I guess after that, I kind of just stopped following him. But I swear, it feels like yesterday he was still a running back in the NFL. Like ten years ago, I was twelve. I mean, that's crazy to me. I didn't know I was twelve whenever he was actually playing in the league. Like, yes, that, that the is glory that days. Is wild to look back the, on. the the glory days of the five and eleven Cleveland Browns of two thousand twelve with Trent Richardson running for a thousand yards with a combination of Colt McCoy, Thad Lewis, Seneca Wallace, and Brandon Whedon all playing snaps for the Cleveland Browns that went five and eleven in the season that ruined Trent Richardson's career. Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually really sad to just look back on Joe Thomas's career with the Cleveland Browns and just see with the horrid teams and the horrid decisions they all made. I mean, he stayed with that Browns franchise through so much thick and thin and was one of the best left tackles of all time just to be a part of something that just was so bad. And that actually breaks my heart for him because he was so good for so long. It's actually crazy. Uh, I, di- I didn't think that this podcast where we were talking about Carson Wentz and all of that would devolve into a 20-minute a, a tangent on the 2012 Cleveland Browns, but here we go. Um, they also, after that season, got were bad enough to get the number six pick in the draft, a draft mm-hmm. in which uh, I believe the 2013 draft had 
I want to say this was the the really bad one at the top of the draft with um with Eric. No, I think Eric Fisher was 2012. I don't remember who 2013 was. No, it was the Eric Fisher draft. So yeah. um, with that pick, they ended up taking Barcavius Mingo with yep. the sixth <laughs> pick in the draft um, oh. ahead of such players as Sheldon Richardson, Eric Reed. Kyle Long, Tyler Eifert, and Desmond Trafant. Uh DeAndre Hopkins yeah. as well was in this class. Um, Xavier Rhodes much later on, but damn. Jeez, uh, Cleveland. Uh, that two, The 2013 season, I think, ended up actually going slightly worse for them because that was when Trent Richardson tore his knee. Um, they went 4-12, yeah. and 12, but also after Trent Richardson... No, not after Trent Richardson got hurt. They, they just happened to finish the season... One in ten after a three and two start, they finished one in ten and a sad four and twelve finish that I believe led to which shitty player did they draft after that? Uh, who did they mess up the draft pick for after that season? That year they took, uh, oh, this was the year they traded the pick down for, me, for no. Justin Gilbert. Oh, Gilbert. Oh, oh my god, I forgot. About oh Justin my Gilbert. god. Oh, oh my god, I just went to the 2014 draft class. Um, so on Wikipedia, when you look up draft class, they highlight players in yellow if they made the Pro Bowl. Um, every single player pick 5 through 17 made a Pro Bowl except Justin Gilbert. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> like, that some of these so aren't even sad. great either. New sponsor alert, people. It's the good people over at Athletic Greens supporting this podcast. You can get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens with one scoop a day of Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens has a special blend of ingredients that support your gut health, nervous system, immune system, boost your energy, as well as improving recovery times. You can reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. One scoop in a cup of water, and that's it. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D using the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, at athleticgreens.com slash BLEAV. By the way, the link to that is in the description to this episode. Go to athleticgreens.com slash BLEAV and use our promo code at checkout. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Can you think of anything better than peace of mind? I'm sure I could come up with a couple, but the point still stands. NordVPN is here to give you peace of mind while you are online. With all the threats that you face today on the internet... It's more important than ever to be sure you have the best VPN that you can get. You can get NordVPN on all of your computers and devices. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either. Plans start as low as $4 per month. And if you sign up today with the exclusive promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, you can get 70% off your NordVPN plan and one additional month free. NordVPN is risk-free for 30 days. You will get your money back no matter what. To make it a little easier, use the link in the description to this episode to go to nordvpn.com slash believe. In 
2014, the Browns had the number four pick in the draft. They traded down to pick eight so the Bills could go get Sammy Watkins. Um, so here is the picks that they passed up on at number four. These are, again, in immediate right. order. Five, Khalil Mack. Six, Jake Matthews. Seven, Mike Evans. Brutal. Eight, eight is Gilbert. So Gilbert was the eight pick. Then we go to pick nine, Anthony Barr. Ten, Eric Ebron, which again, you know, Eric Ebron's mm-hmm. fine, but Eric Ebron yeah. did make a Pro Bowl. Hey, better go. Eleven, yeah, of course. Eleven, Taylor Luan. Twelve, <laughs> Odell Beckham. Oh my God. Thirteen, Aaron Donald. Oh no. Fourteen, Kyle Fuller. Fifteen, Ryan Shazier. Sixteen, Zach Martin. Like any single player you could have picked. Like you could have closed your eyes and just threw a dart at the board and took that guy. He would have been better. <laughs> Justin Gilbert probably would have been great. He just happened to go to the goddamn Cleveland Browns of Trent Richardson. <laughs> that that's a great point to mention. How many how many quarterbacks do you think actually would have panned out in the NFL had they not been drafted by the Cleveland Browns? Do you think we would have seen Johnny Menzel actually transfer over the NFL and play well had he not been gone? Had he not gone to the Browns immediately? Um, maybe guys like Deshaun Kaiser, guys like that. I feel like that their careers could have been so much differently if they went to a good team. Oh, Trevor Lawrence is the one that's convincing me that fit matters more than talent. Like Trevor yeah. Lawrence is the one yeah. that's pushing me over the edge on that one. And here's the one I point to on that also. So the 2011 draft is like universally regarded as one of the best draft classes ever. Like best, right. like a generation of football came from that draft class. Cam Newton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Cam Newton class, uh, Von Miller, AJ Green, Patrick Peterson, Ooh, Julio yeah. Jones, Alden Smith, who might make the hall of fame, uh, Tyron Smith, who's probably going to make the hall of fame, JJ Watt hall of famer. Like all these people were drafted in like the top 10 of the draft. Also uh, Robert right. Quinn also was picked 14. I'm looking at it now. Uh, Pouncey is not going to quite make the Hall of Fame, but he's got a case for the Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah. He was picked 15. Like, like just crazy great draft class. And the only people who didn't work out went to the Bills, Marcel Darius, who was actually pretty yeah. good. Like, Marcel Darius yeah, he's wasn't still, still that bad. I would say a quality defensive tackle. He's a starter for a while. Yeah, he got a giant contract from the Jaguars, and it didn't really right. work out after that. But still, like, really good player. Um, t- Jake Locker was pick eight. Um, Blaine Gabbert, 10. Titans, Jaguars, Bills, the Detroit Lions took Nick Fairley. Like, only the worst of the worst franchises didn't get generational players out of the draft. Like, even Washington got a great player. Even Miami got a great player. Even the Bengals got AJ Green. Like, even the bad franchises still got great players, except the worst of the worst franchises. Yeah, no, it, it, exactly. It, it, it was actually insane how great of a class that is. And that class alone makes the 2013 class look so horrid just to compare those two. Like, like we quite literally saw one of the all-time best drafts 
in 2011. And then two years later, we just saw all the all-time worst drafts in just a matter of years. And that is that is actually very rare for that to happen, I feel like. We, we normally see a pattern. We, we These last couple of years have been really solid drafts, and now we're starting to see it slowly decline again, right? We're starting to see it go down a little bit. We're not seeing as much crazy talent anymore, I think, in these next couple of years. But it is weird how it kind of like goes from a roller coaster in a way. And but that year it was completely fluctuating. Those those last couple of years, it was great class, solid class, terrible class, great class again. Like it was, <laughs> it really went up and down the entire time. Yeah, and all of this is now in hindsight. Like the development of players ends up yeah, making a that's, difference. That's very true. But we still kind of now can point to like there. There, I I've said for a couple of years there are more people doing the draft analysis stuff than there are a need for it. So right. we've never been smarter when it comes to doing draft analysis and we can point to like, Hey, this is an incredibly weak draft class. This is an incredibly strong draft class. And we kind of know these things on the front end, just based on how talented players are. The thing I'm learning about now is that these franchises that are essentially playing minor league football that are like the perpetually mediocre teams, the lions, the dolphins, jaguars, jets, Jets, giants, bears. Yeah. Um, I mean, we can keep going. Panthers are getting in the mix now. Denver's been that for seven years now. So Denver Denver bought themselves some leeway, but Denver's in this group now. Um, all these teams can end up, like, spoiling these careers in weird ways that we don't really understand. Yeah, Even I though mean, we know how sure. great the players are. <laughs> right, yeah, I mean... Th- th- I mean, Denver, I think, might be a bit of, of an exception. I don't want to group them in with Jacksonville. You know, like, that's a that's a pretty stark difference, at least in my eyes, because there, there are a couple of guys that worked out there in Denver. But <laughs> I definitely think that looking at it from, like, the, you know, the, the point of view of the of the Jaguars, the, the Jets, and the Lions, I mean, it is actually insane how – I, I think after a while, you just can't you can't just say you're missing on picks, right? There's obviously a problem with developing because I feel like we are seeing the Patriots who have been drafting from pick 30 or 25 or 28, 32 every season. They're continually drafting better talent than what the Lions, the Jaguars, the Jets have done in the last several years picking the top 10 every year, right? So I think you're totally right in saying that it is much more of a fit in terms of, of how players go and how play, how good players are than it is a, you know, how talented they are. I mean, we're seeing it right now with the Patriots. Patriots took Mac Jones. Mac Jones has been a better off quarterback than most of the other guys uh, in the draft class this year, this year, especially Trevor Lawrence. And and I think it's pretty clear whenever I say, and I think I don't think anyone disagrees with this, Trevor Lawrence is overworldly talent, more talented than Mac Jones. It is not close. But Mac Jones looks so much better off because he's a better team. It's a better fit. He's doing what he does best. And Trevor Lawrence is forcing him to make plays and do things out of his own comfort zone. And that is a, it's a, it's a recipe to ruin a quarterback. I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence is going to be ruined, but that is a recipe to ruin him. That's what the Cleveland Browns did 80 times. They tried to put a square puzzle piece into a circle. That's what they tried to do for so long. And it feels like the Jaguars are starting to try to do that right now. And it's getting me a little concerned. But I think they, they, made, a, they made a smart move in, in getting rid of Urban Meyer completely and going on to a veteran coach in, in, uh, in uh, Peterson, who I think can be a guy that hopefully can reset things for Trevor Lawrence and give him a chance to get more comfortable and implement it into the NFL. Yeah, it's like an opportunity for success thing. It's like if you put someone in a position to succeed, they can overcome a lot of the issues that you put around them. It's why... Uh, you know, Andrew Luck, the crimes against football were committed against Andrew Luck. 
but the Colts were still a pretty stable franchise for him to land in. Well, you know, on the flip side, Matthew Stafford did not land on a stable franchise. And maybe if he did, he wins a championship sooner. And we do this analysis differently on Matthew Stafford. But, you know, if he if he ends up on the Chiefs with Andy Reid, I have a feeling that Matthew Stafford becomes a better quarterback than his time with the Lions, although things did turn out pretty well for him with the Lions. I'm not saying that was all his thing. Also, Dante Moncrief. <laughs> I'm going to keep going with the Colts wide receivers. I love this. Yeah, but I mean, Ma- Matthew Stafford's a perfect example, though. I mean, literally the year he leaves the Detroit Lions, the year he leaves the Detroit Lions, he turns around and wins the Super Bowl, right? I mean, it is pretty obvious that even the great quarterbacks to a Super Bowl capable winners are not doing well enough on their teams to be able to make careers out of it. Now, there are certain ex- exceptions, of course. Calvin Johnson is literally one of the best all-time wide receivers, right? And he he had a successful seasons in Detroit, but did he ever win a playoff game? Not really. I mean, we didn't really, we didn't really see that from him. We we see great players sometimes. The the Jaguars had a couple of seasons there for a while where they had a great defense, Jalen Ramsey, AJ Bouye. They had some great edge rushers, Unique Ngakwe, Kelly's Campbell, Miles Jack, of course, in his prime. You had all those guys that were looking really good for a long time. So they, they had a couple of seasons where they were great, but their offense has never really been ever good as well I mean they've always had problems there and you know overall I mean once they really got rid of Jalen Ramsey everything fell apart after that obviously so it, it feels like after that season it was really just downhill from there of course and you had the Garden Minshew seasons after that um, and, and then you look at the teams like the Jets who literally have not been able to find a regular I mean, I feel like the Jets are, you know, just continuously trying to find a new quarterback, a new defense, a new uh, a new head coach, a new offensive coordinator. It's always changing for them at all times. They can never find stability on their team. Uh, and that's what all these teams are going through. They, they're unable to find any stability. They're unable to find anything. And even when they do find stability, like a Matthew Stafford, they're not good enough to ever win games. They, they even win the playoffs because they're just not able to build a – a good roster overall. And, and honestly, I don't know what advice to give him because it's honestly impressive to me how you are always the top of the league in cap space and you always had the top picks in the draft every year, yet you can't, you still can't build a good team while there are teams out there like the Kansas City Chiefs and the New England Patriots who are out there signing, you know, Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, Joe Tooney. They're signing great players that are, I mean, on, you know, very big deals as well and, and are still managing to go to their t- other teams and still be great. It's just, it's shocking to me how, I don't know. I mean, I, I just how stupid I guess those teams have been these last several seasons. It just it shocks me. Well, this is the phrase we say all the time, right? Is like they crave stability. Like their teams are always like, we just want stability from our team, and stability will only get you so far. Like then you can stop playing minor league football, like eight or ten teams are, and actually kind of get into the game of. Yeah, we make a whole lot of money, but what if we actually want to be good also? Because um, back in September, I did after the after the the Ravens loss or the Ravens beat the Lions with the sixty six yard field goal. We did an oral history of the Detroit Lions as a podcast, and one of the things I realized was the Detroit Lions were so bad during that stretch where they were like going zero and sixteen and like retooling their entire team. They were so bad that they actually got generational talents at three different positions, including one at the quarterback. Like they got generational quarterback talent, Matthew Stafford, who like Mel Kuyper said when he was a junior in high school, he was going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. 
and Calvin Johnson, first ballot Hall of Fame wide receiver, and Adamican Sue, who's like for most people's money, the best defensive tackle prospect in the history of the NFL and might still make the hall of fame, despite the fact most people say he's had a disappointing career and they got him with pick two, pick one and pick two. Like the lions did the tank more correctly than almost anyone else. And that they got so many generational talents and got Jim Caldwell as a coach. And that only got them so much stability. Like they couldn't do a whole lot else around that. And that only bought them so much in they made the playoffs three times, like making the playoffs three times in six years, really good, but it only bought them so much stability of being able to get three generational prospects at the top of the draft. And and I think that, that, that it's a big reason why they never were able to find much success overall is because despite having those generational talents, if you're not putting together a good supporting cast of free agents or other players around them, they can only do so much, right? You can't play three on 11 football. That's just not how it works, obviously. (laughs) And no matter how great teams are, you're only as good as your worst player, honestly. And that's, that's what I firmly believe. You're only as good as your worst player because at the end of the day, every player on the football field really matters. Now there are some that matter a lot, a lot less than others, right? Like running back can, you know, you can have a worse running back. You can have a worse tight end. You don't have to have great players, those positions. But if you're a team that is, has a great quarterback, a great wide receiver and a great deep to tackle, like how the lions did for so long, it doesn't matter if you have a terrible secondary, a terrible offensive line, you're, you're going to get sacked. You're not going to be able to get the ball deep to your generational wide receiver. You're not going to be able to, to run an efficient offense. If you can't, you know, have the ball in your hands at all. If you can't develop a run game, everyone's going to play in coverage and just wait for you to pass the ball obviously you become one dimensional and if you no matter how great a defensive tackle or a defensive line you have if you don't have good linebackers to cover the middle if you don't have good secondary players to cover the wide receivers that doesn't matter you can get rid of the ball quickly and get good yardage right so you have to have a good supporting cast alongside that and I hate to tie this back to the Bengals. That's why the Bengals had such a great season this year because they were able to go out, sign free agents, be able to create a good supporting cast that match with their generational talent like Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow. And that's why they were able to be as good as what they were that year. The Lions never were, were never able to do that. Um, the 49ers, even though it's even several years ago, they were able to do that. They had, um, you know, they had, even with Jimmy Garoppolo, they were able to have a great supporting cast of guys that all were able to work together and have a much balanced team that was able to dominate on the on the ground and play really good defense to make it to the Super Bowl. That there's not there's several examples of that. You had to have a great supporting cast as well. And teams like the Lions, the Jaguars, the Jets, they haven't been able to do that in years. That they've just not been able to find a good supporting cast. I don't know if players are refusing to go to those teams, but there's definitely something factoring in there. They're just not finding the right talents. They're paying too much money for these guys. Something's happening. Um, but th- they're certainly capable of going out and finding good, talented free agents. And they can get just a couple of good signings. They can turn their seasons around so quickly. just haven't been able to do it. Yeah, the salary cap evens the playing field for everyone, that you can give them enough money and you too can have – solid free agents like the Cincinnati Bengals do, and also get the quarterback on a rookie contract. That's the best way to go about it. Um, I know this is a cop-out based on what we were talking about, but this is the thing I've been saying with the Chiefs and the Rams for all this time, which is we just need stability. Like the Chiefs just need a stable defense, not a all-time historically bad defense or an all-time historically bad offensive line. We just need stable The Rams just needed stable so that Aaron Donald could make the sack on Joe Burrow to end the Super Bowl. 
Like, just need stable around your great players. And the Lions kind of had that for a little bit. But even uh, even with the developmental side, like, we think of Matthew Stafford's career as a disappointment. We think, I mean, a little bit. Not like it's a massive bust disappointment. But still, like, we feel like Matthew Stafford had underachieved and Adamican Sue underachieved and Calvin Johnson retired early, even though he broke like every receiving record for a <laughs> single season. Um, right. That one was just the lions forcing him into retirement. But like, we feel like those teams or those players even underachieved because they didn't have stability around them or, you know, didn't develop the same way. Cause they didn't have, you know, if Matthew Stafford, gets gets or if the Detroit Lions win two games the year they go 0 and 16 then Matthew Stafford gets drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs and he gets Andy Reid for 10 years and maybe we think of him differently because of that like I think that all plays into it with the the eight or ten franchises that feel like they're playing minor league football like the Jaguars or the Browns when they get nice things how do they ruin those nice things or not put stability around those nice things like they've kind of done with Miles Garrett? <laughs> it's like we have the great generational pieces, but what and what happens when we can't put anything stable around them? Also, right. before yeah. you go on, also uh, Pierre Garcon. <laughs> he played for the Colts? He did play for the Colts. Yes, he was drafted by the Colts. Okay, that makes sense then. I, I guess I didn't remember those Pierre Garcon Colts years. But uh, no, no, totally right. I mean, I completely agree. If, if you're not – generational talents are great and they're so important to having a successful Super Bowl team. But that's the point. You have to have a team, I think, that is capable of making the playoffs alone without the generational talent in order to be able to win a Super Bowl, right? <laughs> the generational talent is what pushes you from the playoff team to a Super Bowl team. You have to be playoff mm-hmm. good already at other positions in order to be successful enough to make the Super Bowl. So I, I do definitely think there's a certain like bridge, right? And maybe what the Browns, Jaguars, and, and Lions have been doing – well, Browns before. You know, Browns, Browns have been a better football team now, but, but – the Browns had been looking for a generational quarterback to carry them, right, and have and have it to where it tracks other team or other players there. Um, I, I think that was just beating a dead horse almost because if you don't have the talent around them, he can only do so much, right? And I think it's pretty obvious. So I think that you have to have a good Roth. And the Browns credit to the Browns, they figured that they figured out their mistakes and they did it. They went out and got literally every other position. And then got Baker Mayfield and added him to the roster. They had well, and then signed a off- whole bunch of people in free agency. There was that exactly. one offseason. Everyone wanted to join exactly. the Browns. Their problem was just Baker Mayfield wasn't as good as they thought he was. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, they, they, they got Miles Garrett. They got a generational talent in Miles Garrett. They said, all right, let's build a defense. They got Denzel Ward, another great player in the draft. They went out and they signed a bunch of guys. We have... Uh, you know, they had they, – well, more recently, they got John Johnson. They had a couple of, of pretty solid uh, defensive lines. No, they, they, signed, um, they signed Sheldon Richardson. They signed some Richardson. Yes, I can't yeah, remember Sheldon Richardson was on the roster there for a while. Um, they had uh, – I, mean, I can't remember a lot of the players. I know they signed a couple of corners. I'm just forgetting at the, top of the mo- at the moment. But I, I, I'm more importantly know that they, you know, they went out, of course, on a great But they also had all those line. picks. They also drafted exactly, Katie Williams, yes. and they drafted all those dudes at the top. Pick, guys like that. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 of course, they also 
turn around and, and go and, and sign Jarvis Landry, of course. They trade for Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, they, they, they get all, a great offensive line. They, they sign Kareem Hunt, of course. Uh, they draft Nick Chubb. I mean, this was a team that went out and got the supporting cast necessary, and they were banking on Baker Mayfield to be the generational talent with Miles Garrett and Odell Beckham Jr., and it just didn't work, right? And obviously that – that's what Ooh. that's what hurt them in the long run, and that's why Miles Garrett's a generational talent. I want to say that, right? And I think Odell I would Jr. go the other way. I would say it did work. I'd say they won a playoff game, and that was the best they could do with the stability that they had. They they did get a playoff win out well, of all of that. No, and and honestly, I think with the roster they had, this is the bare minimum. That was a that was a team that if Baker Mayfield was a generational talent at quarterback, that was a Super Bowl caliber team, right? So I mean, you know, the, the Browns, the Browns window i wouldn't say is completely closed yet there's some possibility things turn around for him though i think it's looking pretty bleak um but i I would certainly say that like all things considered with how great their roster was talked about it that year that they won the playoff game i think top to bottom they had the best roster in the nfl and and honestly i really think that that was a disappointment even though it was the chiefs is a great team right i mean i'm not going to blame them for losing and and at least in my eyes, I mean, that, that team was better than this year's Bengals team, right? I mean, I, I think that's Yeah, no question. No question. Yeah. yeah they, so, they in, 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 my, in my eyes, that was a team that probably should have made the Super Bowl. Had, they, would have, they would have made it, in my opinion, if they beat the Chiefs that game. Um, and, and, and I really think that, I mean, it was not a disappointment, I guess. In the end of the day, they accomplished a lot, and that, that's great for the Browns franchise. But they, they, there were higher goals, right? If you had a better quarterback there, if you had uh, a Joe Burrow there, right? I mean, things would be so much different. You, you would be a completely Case in point, different team. Josh Allen was the best prospect in that class, and they took the safer pick. Josh, if if they picked Josh Allen in 2018, woof, exactly, like completely different team. That, 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 we're talking about a dynasty at that point, right? Or at least they probably have a championship at this. Or, uh, not, no, they probably still lose to the Chiefs that year. Uh, but Mahomes got hurt in the playoff. They're they're pretty close. Yeah, they're, they're pretty close. Regardless, it's nitpicking on that. They would they would be consistently one of the four best teams in the NFL. Right, and and, and that's that's just a case of they they did they did the they made a good decision of getting supporting cast, and that's why we think of the Browns as a, as a pretty solid borderline playoff team now. That's what brought them to that point, and the, I, just the entire fact that they just weren't able to get a good enough quarterback is what hurt them. I think the Jaguars, the Jets, teams like that are almost flipping it backwards. Right, they went and got the quarterback first. And they're thinking, hey, let's have this quarterback break out and play insane with this terrible roster we have, and then we'll get supporting pieces, right? But the supporting pieces aren't going to want to go there if there's no promise at all, right? Trevor Lawrence didn't look great this year. I don't think there's a lot of t- there's a lot of team players out there that are like, oh yeah, I want to go play with the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's the team I want to go play with, right? Yeah, there's no one really <laughs> thinking that they're gonna they're gonna have to keep it real. Let's keep it real. They're gonna have to overpay players to be able to join their team, right? People, yeah, they're gonna like, pay oh, they're gonna pay thirty million to Marquez Valdez Scantling, of course. They're going to overpay for mediocre players now because no one wants to go there. So you have to find out a way to get a supporting cast in some way, whether it's with draft picks, whether it's with getting cheap free agent deals like the Texans try to do. That's, that's, that's exactly why I love the Texans' idea of going out and signing mediocre players to small deals because you're bound to find a couple of guys to break out, and they did. They found a couple of good breakout guys. So now they start to have supporting cast. If they can get some generational players on that roster and continue to sign and get good players, that all of a, time, all of a sudden becomes a pretty solid AFC team, right? Like I think that all of a sudden makes them pretty solid. 
Um, that's exactly why I love that the idea the Texans had. So uh, I think if the Jaguars or the Lions or whoever is is in the future, you know, looking to try to fix this rebuild, if they can sign and get the good talent to surround the quarterback first, and then get the generational quarterback, ideally, right? If you get, to, I think if you if you gave Trevor Lawrence that Browns roster, this is a completely different story about Trevor Lawrence, obviously. And we're talking about a great, great team. So I think we, I think that that's what they're missing. They're they're doing what the Browns did for so long and getting the quarterback first and worrying about the, the guys on the side later. And the Browns realized that they had to get the supporting cast first if they wanted to actually be successful. And had they hit on that quarterback pick just a little bit better. Baker Mayfield's not a miss necessarily, but he's also not a hit either, right? It's not relative to Josh Allen, it was a miss, but relative to Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen, it was not a miss. Oh, also Lamar Jackson. I forgot Lamar Jackson was also on the board at that point. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't, he was definitely like the, you know, clearly that third guy, right. Looking back on it in the draft. Right. But um, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I guess it wasn't really a hit, but it wasn't really a miss either in, in certain aspects. As long as, you know, it, but if they were able to hit that, if there was Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen, that, that, that was such a, that'd be such a huge victory for the Browns and would have completely proved that what they did was completely correct. And it, and I just think the fact that it didn't work out totally for the Browns is scaring teams at the Jaguars and, and Lions to make a mistake of going out and signing a bunch of guys and wasting all their cap space. And if they miss on the quarterback, all of a sudden they're screwed for a long time, right? That is a big risk to take. But it's almost a risk that's necessary if you want to be a successful franchise for the future because you're not going to be winning football games with a quarterback that's lost all his confidence and can't win because he doesn't have supporting cast. Well, yeah, that's kind of the case that the reverse side, the Chargers are in right now, where the Chargers are like, we have total incompetence on parts of our defense, and I would argue their receiving core. So we just need to get stable around that, and we'll be able to make the playoffs just because we have Justin Herbert. Browns and Colts are also kind of in the same situation where they have generational players now, which again, weird to say for the Browns, but it's now been like four years since the Brown teardown. Um, they have, you know, Denzel Ward's not necessarily a generational corner, but he's, you know, made an all pro in the past pro bowler every year. Uh, Miles Garrett's obviously one of the best defensive players in the NFL. Like those guys are there now. And what, like what happens when every team has a player as good as, or multiple players as good as the Browns and Colts have, like the Colts have a lot of great players and a lot of teams have great players and a franchise quarterback. And so the Colts can be good enough to win the AFC South every year, but it only gets them so far once they play the Mahomeses and Josh Allens of the world that can go down the field in 13 seconds. I feel like the Browns and Colts are both kind of in that purgatory of not knowing. They're kind of in similar places as a franchise, actually, now that I think about it, which is weird given how differently they the paths they took to get there. Also, Kobe Fleener. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It, it really is just a matter of, you know, finding finding a balance, right? Because, I mean, you know, there, there are exceptions out there. The Chargers didn't have the best supporting cast. Justin Herbert just worked out, right? Obviously, Justin Herbert was great. They had good players around them, though. And, you know, good enough players, I think, to be able to be successful. Yeah, stable. They were stable. Yeah, yeah. They, they were just stable enough. And that's, that's all the Jaguars, Jets, those, that's what those teams need to do. They need to, they need to wait for that 
seven and nine season where they're like, okay, this is a good roster that can win. We just need a quarterback, right? And then you get the quarterback. Now, they already have Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence. I'm not saying get rid of them, right? Obviously, you want to roll with those guys. You want to see if that works out. But I wish that that those teams had already had stable rosters whenever they went to go get those guys. Because obviously, it wasn't stable. And I think it all really starts on coaching. And the Jaguars made the crucial mistake of making the worst decision ever and getting Urban Meyer to be their head coach. Um, you know, that, that's obviously that obviously hurt them a lot. And that, that's where it all starts. So it was bound to fail the moment they signed Urban Meyer. But um, I, I really do think that if you were able to just create some stability on the team first. If you're able to get a quarterback to join, you're so much better off. And that that's that that really is the key. But like I said, it's it's not all hope is lost for these guys. You know, they're they're still rookies, they're really young, they have loads of potential, obviously. If you're a team like the Chicago Bears or anything like that, that's a great guy like Justin Herbert Justin Fields, excuse me. I'm looking to Add to the offensive line. Add to the receiver core. Look what looking and getting all the assets you can get towards helping Justin Fields out first. That is your first priority. You can worry about the rest later. You what you need to do is get immediate guys to help out your quarterback and look to build on after that. Because I really think if you are deciding to neglect your quarterback, if you're going to let Josh Rosen get sacked 60 times a game or let Sam Donald see ghosts out there and get sacked all the time, it's not going to work out for that quarterback. They're going to fall apart. You need to have your quarterback protected and have confidence and ability to play well first, and then you add on later with other positions like defense, more importantly, right? I'm a firm believer that if you get a good quarter, if you get a rookie quarterback, you need to have a good offense to build along with him. You cannot leave him for the dots. That's why that's why I am was so worried for so long about Joe Burrow because I really, really was worried that, you know, things were gonna fall apart with him if he didn't have a good offensive line. And obviously it kind of did in a way, even though he's still great. Um, you know, yeah, they just lucked into almost winning a Super Bowl out of it. Like they almost won the yeah. luckiest Super Bowl in the history of the NFL out of it. I mean, <laughs> one weird play, and we're talking about Joe Burrow having another blown knee and having to have knee surgery again, right? I mean, it's it's that close because he's he, they said it during the Super Bowl. He That's what I was gonna say. During the Super Bowl, they said he was sacked the most times of any quarterback in the NFL. And they still made the Super Bowl because the Kansas City Chiefs threw up on themselves and they got an easy matchup in the playoffs with the Raiders and the Titans. And they still almost lost to the Titans, but still, they they did get there despite some obstacles that would normally knock out a team of their caliber earlier in the playoffs. Right, yeah. So, I mean, it, it is wild uh, how it all kind of transpired, of course. But uh, and, and honestly, I would say that no team – I think every team needs a little bit of luck, right? You know, there's there's no team that's going to go through and just overpower everyone. We saw that with the 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 prime Patriots team that went what was it 19 and 0 until the the Giants game with us the Giants Super Bowl. You know, mm-hmm. no team is going to overpower their way and just sweep through the NFL. It's just never going to happen. Uh, you can have yeah. the all time greatest teams. The Pat- the Chiefs are a little cheat code of a team, right? And not even they can make the Super Bowl every year. They have to luck into it sometimes. So. There's a little bit of luck that goes into it, of course, but I really do think the biggest, the biggest key is just like like you said, like I've said multiple times, is just getting stable, finding a roster that is just good enough to win, and then adding the generational talent to be a great roster for the future. And I think that's that's where I really get to it. And I, and I think in terms of generational talent, you know, three guys is I would say the average for most teams. But if you want to be a true Super Bowl caliber team, like the Chiefs, right, they have, I would consider five generational talents right now on their roster, right? 
guys I think are are great players, and that's that's yeah, when we say generational type. talents, we mean like the equivalent of five stars or blue chippers. Like there's yeah. only a handful of them in every draft class, and they're good enough to make the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would say with the Chiefs, we're first looking at Patrick Mahomes, um, you know, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, obviously, and I would say Tyron Matthew and probably Chris Jones as well is what I think of as like the five great players on that roster, right? You, if you can yeah, build you around can, those yeah. guys. No, I was going to say, you can good... nitpick Chris Jones, but, you know, yeah. still, that's like nitpicking Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward makes Pro Bowls instead of all pros. Those are just arbitrary metrics. Like, very, very good player. <laughs> yeah. Chandler Jones, even on the in-between. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and, and, I, and I really think that if you're able to – have enough of those guys match up with the stable roster you have, you're, you can be very successful. The Browns were just short of that Patriot or the teams like the Patriots, the Patriots, the Chiefs. They had plenty enough to be able to be successful, and they were able to keep stability. The Patriots are the best team in the NFL at keeping stability. They will always be stable. That is why Bill Belichick is one of the greatest head coaches of all time. That's why their front office is so great because they know exactly how to keep stable. They know how to just be good enough to where all they need is a couple of great talents and they're a Super Bowl caliber team, right? That's why they've been so great for so long. They just know stability better than anyone else. It's exactly what great teams need is just a stable, solid roster. And stability got the Patriots two playoff appearances in three years and no playoff wins when their offense was absolutely terrible. Uh, that yeah, wouldn't I mean, say terrible. Just you know, below average offense, you, and they still made it. You twice. put Mac, you put Mac Jones in the Jaguars. And we're talking about a two and fifteen season again, right? Like that. Yeah, Mac, jo- Mac Jones looks like Trevor Lawrence. If Mac Jones is on right. the Jaguars, he looks like Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean the fact that we're talking about Mac Jones being, you know, a far more successful quarterback so far in the NFL over Trevor Lawrence is really only due to the fact that he has a much better roster around them because the Patriots. Are just keeping stable rosters. Mm-hmm. It's very confusing how all of that works out. Also, Andre Johnson also had a stop <laughs> at the end of his career wow. with the Indianapolis Colts. Huh. I forgot about that. I forgot that he was yes. there for a year. Yes. All right. It, 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 I've got it a, very oh, impressive. I've got a I've got a game for you at the end here today. It's a uh, it's a quick little game. I didn't think it would be close to a two hour podcast, but I still have a game here at the end to play because at the time you are listening to this, it is currently March 1st. And that means oh, yes. it is March badness unofficial. Oh boy. So I have a little short quiz for you. Five questions long, Mr. Blake Jude of Stripe Hype Cincy and avid Kentucky Wildcats fan. I have five questions about last year's March madness to see just how much we actually care about college basketball and remember college basketball because uh, this sport, it can be increasingly forgettable over time as uh, you know, it leaks in popularity a little bit over the past, uh, shall we say 20 years. So I want to see, we, we did some watch parties last year for March Madness. We did have some fun with it, even though Kentucky wasn't in. But I want to see yep. how much you remember from last year's March Madness going into 2022's March Madness. All right. I'm, uh, I'm ready for this. This is going to be exciting. All right. Number one, name the four teams who made the Final Four last year. Okay. I know... 
Gonzaga, Baylor, and UCLA, right? Mm-hmm. Those are three. Who was four? I don't think it was a good team, right? Was it? I mean, I don't know. I I I know it wasn't a, a great team. At least it definitely wasn't any of the blue bloods. Because I know Kansas didn't make it through. Was it like? I don't think it was Michigan. Was it? No. Ah. Uh, oh man, this is tough. I'm gonna say. I remember, I remember Illinois was upset, right? And because we had another Loyola Chicago mm-hmm. team, I know it wasn't them. I know it wasn't. Was it Michigan? I'm gonna say Michigan was the last team. I know, I know the first three. I don't know the last one. It was not Michigan. The okay. team who was the fourth Final Four team was the University of Houston. Okay. Wow. I didn't know. They, I forgot they got that far. Whew. Yes. Uh, I believe they were down 30 points at halftime against Baylor in the final four, <laughs> but they yeah. were a two seed. They were a two seed uh, during okay. last year's tournament. Question number two. Wow. I'll give you 75% on that one. 75%, right. which is better than I thought. I thought maybe you'd forget another team in there, but question number two. Name the 15 seed who upset Ohio State in the first round of the tournament. 15 C who upset Ohio State. Was that – that was uh, um, Oral Roberts. Was that – That is correct. It I, was I, indeed Oral Roberts. I remember, I remember the memes. <laughs> All right. I remember they the actually memes. made That's the Sweet why. 16. They actually made it to the Sweet 16 yeah. that year. They yeah, beat they uh, both times. I think they beat uh, Florida. I think they beat Florida in the second round game, but they they did make the Sweet Sixteen. I remember that was a big deal because they had like a five foot eight point guard who was amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that that yeah. was that was a good game too. That was really satisfying to watch. Ohio State or Rob. I remember watching that. That was probably my favorite game of watching it because as you know, with that Kentucky there, I was just cheering for chaos. Right, that was the biggest upset that year, in my opinion, was Oral Roberts over. Uh, Ohio State, I believe. So yeah, that was that was a lot of fun to watch, and I I just remember laughing at how um, how much chaos that was that that caused in terms of memes and everything like that. It was hilarious. It was wonderful. It was wonderful chaos and March Madness, which is why we watch it every year. It's for Oral Roberts to pull off <laughs> upsets. Exactly. Question number three: Who was the team that Baylor beat? in the Elite Eight to advance to the Final Four? Uh, I have no clue. (laughs) (laughs) I have absolutely no clue. I know Baylor was the one seed, so it has to be a four or five or maybe one of those lower seeds. Uh... I remember Oregon State went far. You can have one hint. You can have one hint for the entire game if you'd like it. So you can use it now if you'd prefer. I don't know how much harder the questions are later. I mean, they're they're supposed to be escalatingly difficult. I'm not going to say they're guaranteed, Uh, but they're supposed to be escalatingly difficult. 
Well, I mean, I have no clue what this is, so I'll take my hint now, I guess. They are in your SEC conference. Okay, that helps, actually. So, I know it wasn't Alabama, because they were a two-seed that year. I know Florida got upset about Oral Roberts, so it couldn't have been them. It couldn't have been LSU, because they were an eight-seed, I believe, that year. Um, who else? Uh, let's see. Arkansas. It was Arkansas. That is correct. Okay. I had I got to be honest. I'd forgotten also that Arkansas made the Elite Eight last year because they got destroyed by Baylor. But I yeah, did they forget just beat that Kentucky Arkansas. too. Yeah. That's right. I think they beat Auburn this week. Too. Rough week for Auburn. I think Auburn lost twice this week. But uh, yeah, the, the, I forgot Arkansas made an Elite Eight last year until I looked it up again, which is kind of sad because it wasn't that long ago. They, they have actually won the most games in the SEC since 2019, which is wild. <laughs> Arkansas, the basketball school, is a school that will never yes. be great at football again. They chose basketball as. We're gonna take. They, they did the Vanderbilt thing, where Vanderbilt takes all their money and just puts it towards baseball, and just has a kick-ass baseball program. Uh, Arkansas is just like we're gonna take all this SEC on CBS football money and put it towards basketball because we got no shot at competing in the SEC. They look really good this year too. This might be a better year than last year for them. They they look really really talented. I believe they were maybe a three seed last year. I don't remember exactly, but I think they were a three seed last year. Um, oh, they so, had to be a four or five, right? Because they paid Baylor. I think they well, were like a four. four. Four or five would be a Sweet 16 matchup. Like one four would be a oh. Sweet 16 matchup. Was that Elite Eight? Oh, okay. My yeah. Fault. Well, I was thinking of completely opposite. My fault. So, yeah, they had to be like a two or three seed then. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I remember they were really good. Question four. Who won the Big Ten championship last year? Big Ten? Who won the Big Ten championship in college basketball? Ohio State? Oh. Do you know if this is an upset? Someone else won. Did you, is it a guess uh, Ohio State? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. Well, I know Michigan and Ohio State are both the top, right? Those they were the one and two teams. seeds. They were one yeah. and two seeds. I don't think any – I don't remember there being any upsets in the Big Ten. I guess Michigan was a one seed. I forgot their record, though. Were they good oh. – Ohio State, because I remember Ohio State was a two seed and Michigan was a one seed, right? In March so, Madness, yes. Yeah. So I'll say based on that, I'll go Michigan. Michigan lost in the championship game versus oh. the shocking re- revelation. Our, our darling team of last year, the Illinois Fighting Illini, won the, the Big Ten oh, championship. I forgot. They were one seed, too. Were a one seed, and they made. I, no, they they lost in the second round. I think second round they lost to uh, Loyola, Loyola Chicago. Yeah. Oh man, I forgot about that. Yeah, yep. I, okay. I, I I think their best player now plays for the Bulls. I think maybe. Uh, uh, Kobe Coker is still on the roster. That was their best player that last year. 
I think I was thinking of Ao Don Don Sumo. Yeah, I think it's how he you was also it. very good. At, yeah, they were both so. Yeah, they were both really talented. But yeah, Don Sumo's were also really good. Question five: Name two of the four teams. Or sorry, there were five because they started in the first four. Name two of the five teams UCLA beat in their road from the first four to the final four last year. Uh, they beat. First round was BYU. I have no clue who they won second round. Third round, I know they beat Alabama. And they beat Michigan to go to Gonzaga. How about that? I you have, got three out of five. I have I have no clue who they won second round. I'll go on a limb here and say I got no clue. I'll, I'll say, I'll go VCU. <laughs> uh, did Did you have any guess for who they played in the first four in the the games that get played in Dayton? Oh, Michigan State. Yep. Nice job. How about that? Yeah. You, you, yeah. Great job there. Uh, uh, listen, the, the, I was I I was cheering for UCLA that year. That remember that was Johnny Juzang, former Kentucky player. I was watching all their games. Johnny Juzang's still there. I think they're ranked yep. near the top ten right now, but. You know, UCLA is now no longer a Cinderella yeah. team as they get to March Madness. They almost lost to Michigan State in the first four. I remember that game was really close and up until the mm-hmm. end. And I was thinking – and I remember going through the, the brackets, and I had always picked UCLA over BYU that year because I, I really just didn't think BYU was that good. So they, they won that game, and I have absolutely no clue who would play, who they play in the second game. I think it was like uh, a like – VCU school or something like that, uh, but then I remember sort of close, sort of close. It was State, Alabama, and I watched that game because I hated Alabama, <laughs> and I was happy they won that. And then I know they beat Michigan as well in the Elite Eight. So yeah, yet, Sorry, what was yet you guess? Yet you guessed Michigan as your other Final Four team earlier, even though you knew Michigan lost to UCLA I, in the Elite Eight. <laughs> Yeah, I, listen. I it's a, I'm a <laughs> listen. I, I'm completely off. I didn't think about that at all. It is also one thirty in the morning. Where I, you I are, thought. So. Well, I thought. Here, here's my problem, right? I knew Baylor won the championship, but I also thought that Gonzaga won the championship that year on the game winner against UCLA. Yeah, Remember that was, the, that was the final four. That was the final that four. That confused me. So I, for, for a second, I thought that was a championship game, and they beat Michigan to go to the championship game. But I forgot that <laughs> Baylor won it that year. So mm-hmm. it – it, I don't know. I, that confuses me. I remember because I remember that game between Gonzaga and UCLA was that felt like a championship game. <laughs> how great it was, right? So yeah, that's why absolutely. Would... It was the game of the year, according to I think it was Sports Illustrated or the ESPYS or something. They called it the game of the year. But uh, the the last team you were missing on the final question was Abilene Christian University was the team that they beat in the second round. I would have Abil- never got that. Yeah, what, Abilene what Christian. Were they? They were a 14 seed that beat Texas okay. in the first round. Okay. So, yeah, would have never guessed that. Didn't re- I asked the Oral Roberts question as an easy one, but I could have done the Abilene Christian. Who was the 14 seed who beat Texas? Abilene Christian. I will never stop right. talking about how crazy this stat is that uh, the University yeah. of Texas has an athletic budget of $250 million. Abilene Christian has $1.5 million. Wow, that is that is crazy. Yeah, I, I, you could have given me a million guesses, and I would have never guessed Abilene Christian. I didn't even know they were in the tournament last year. 
Yep, uh, but, but they I, did win a tournament game. Good. I do uh, quite remember Apple. UCLA's path, though, and I, I remember how heartbroken I was whenever they lost to Jalen Suggs. I remember watching that game uh, on my on my couch in the basement, and I actually like letting out like a sigh <laughs> when Jalen Suggs hit that game winning half court shot to win. That was that was brutal. That was brutal, but it was also fun. Uh, that was a wonderful, wonderful experience last year. So. Uh, I I can't I don't think I can do that this year with college basketball. I think I've uh, I, I haven't invested enough this year to be able to do the same analysis because I'm not the crazy sports person like I was last year. But still, uh, it'll still be fun. Well, if you need a breakdown, the top six teams lost this week, so that it's madness. It's March Madness. It was a blood weekend, as we like to call it. They had a nice little blood blood weekend. Uh, where everyone ends up losing uh, at the end of the season. Um, Yeah. Thank you again for coming on. Much appreciated. Uh, We finished with Dontrell Inman. Dontrell Inman also. (laughs) Yes. The perfect way to end this podcast, Dontrell Inman. (laughs) Or or can I do better? Can I I propose a Trey Burton? Would Trey Burton top that? Is he tight end? He is technically a tight end, but I also yeah. I also threw Kobe Fleener in there as a fun little oh, name. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah, know, fair enough. A couple tight ends in there. <laughs> the Colts are just a mess of a franchise. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be it seems to be the case. Their, well, their well, wide receivers, receivers are fine. Yeah. Just sign Chris Godwin. Or just sign Chris Godwin, and you'll all be okay. Off. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, look at that. All righty. Have a wonderful night. Please go to sleep. It's 1.30 in the morning. (laughs) Thank you very much. You have a wonderful night as well.